Okay. Good morning, everybody. Um, I just wanted to tell you guys that this class is sponsored in honor of the Bernath family um, by an anonymous donor. So that's really special. And I also wanted to let you know that um, everything, all the ep um, episodes and chapters are on Schmoozy. So you can now listen um, in podcast format on Schmoozy. And uh, there's also our points to ponder that we talk about um, during our meditation. I have all those written down so you can, you can have them somewhere in a, like a place that you can look back at. And um, there's also capabilities for chatting, questions, anything of that sort. So if you're not on that app, I really recommend you try it because it's awesome. YouTube is great for like, a, if you want to see the video chat, but sometimes just you're in your car, you're, you're working out, you have ear pods on, like it's a really, really great way to um, catch up if you missed review. Um, and, you know, you can always share with people that you think might be interested. So with all that said, without further ado, let's get going. We are on chapter nine. And um, nine kind of starts a new section in Tanya. So I want to really before we go into chapter nine in depth, I, we're going to do um, a quick review on what we've covered so far and how that's going to lend to our next section. So remember we said in the beginning of Tanya, I think the first class, we said that Tanya is an I'm so sorry. It just shut off on me and came back. Very sorry. Okay. So we said we need to know like what we're talking about, what we're dealing with here. So we kind of compared it to like a recipe, right? Before you can actually make the cake or the ingredients, you have to have, you have, before you can make the cake, you need to know the ingredients. So the first eight chapters was kind of like sharing with us the ingredients of what we're going to need to bake our cake. Okay. So, and another example we gave was like, if you're in medical school, right before you can become a doctor, you need to know the anatomy of your body, right? You need to know the lingo, the terms, all that information. So that's what we did in, um, chapters one through eight. Now, um, I want to go quickly through the eight chapters, kind of pinpoint the different concepts that we've learned so far, and then we'll be able to move on. Okay, so chapter one, what did we, what were we introduced to in chapter one? We were introduced to um, the idea that there's three types of people, right? We said there's a tzaddik, there's a rasha, and there's a benoni, okay? Now, we don't know really what these people are like and what 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 characteristics and what makes them who they are but we know that there's three categories of people and what we said was before we can um really understand the different the difference between these people we need to understand that what do we have inside of us we have two souls 
right? We were, and then in chapter, at the end of chapter one, we were introduced to the first soul, which was the animal soul, because we get the animal soul first. And then in chapter two, we were introduced to the godly soul, right? And the godly soul, um, we, we discussed what were the, what was the two, what's the drive for each of these souls, the animal souls, what's the animal soul drive is drive is self-preservation, right? It needs to stay alive. It, um, it, it, that is goal, right? Self-preservation, stay alive. What is the godly souls drive? We said self-annihilation. Remember how we use that word though, right? It's not a gory, gruesome, harsh thing. What does it mean in, in Tanya language? It means unity with God. What the soul wants is to be united and one with God. That's its soul objective, okay? So we were introduced to the two souls briefly and what their motivation and drive are. Now, chapter three, we now know we have a godly soul and we have an animal soul. Well, what's the composition of a soul? And in chapter three, we were introduced to the 10 powers of the soul, right? And they're divided into two categories. What's the two categories? Intellectual and emotional, right? And which one comes first? What did we learn? Everything starts with your brain, with your intellect, right? And your intellect gives birth to their to emotions. That's what we discussed, right? And what did we say? What you think about is what you're going to care about, right? We were introduced to that concept. That's chapter three. So you see how we're building our, our dictionary, right? We have all these things now we, we know that we didn't know before. Now we're moving on. Now that we know the composition of the soul, chapter four tells us how does the soul express itself? right? It, it needs to have modes of expression. Yay, it's great. We have all these 10 powers. How are these 10 powers actually expressed? And we said that soul has clothing and that's how it expresses itself. What are the three modes of expression? Action, speech, and thought, right? And we went into the concept, um, the fact that Action is obvious that it's an express, it's an expression of ourselves, right? Speech also, but thought it's so close to us that sometimes we can get confused and sometimes we think we're our thoughts. But the tiny says, no, 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 you're not your thoughts. You can control your thoughts. And what is the great example that we use is like the knock on the door, right? You can't necessarily control what thoughts you think of, right? But you can decide what you think about. You can decide which knocks you open the door for right we've all guys we've all ignored knocks on the door nobody can say they haven't right we can control so the same thing with our brain right we don't have to think about everything we think of okay so chapter four we learned about the the modes of expressions of our soul now all these things remember this is um, our brief introduction. Uh, later in Tanya, we are going to get into more depth on all these concepts, right? What's a Tadak Rasha Bainani? You know, even the, the, the thoughts, right? How our thoughts control our actions. All these things we're going to talk about more. This is just our introduction to these concepts. Okay, so now that we know that the soul has clothing, what else does the soul have? What did we learn in chapter five? We learned in chapter five that what's the food of the soul? What Get, energizes the soul. What feeds the soul? Torah study. 
Okay, so Torah study is what feeds the soul. That was chapter five. And we said that Torah becomes just like food becomes one with you after you eat it. Like if you were to take your stomach contents and test it for DNA, it will have your DNA in the food contents. Like really cool. But the same thing with Torah. Like once you learn it and digest it, it becomes part of you. You can't unknow something. You can't separate yourself. And what happens is, is that slowly starts to change the way we look at the world because we're what it's impossible not to, right? So that's Torah. That's chapter five. Chapter six, we learned that the just like the godly soul, the animal soul has everything the godly soul has. So we learned about the composition of the animal soul. And we learned that everything is equal in the world, right? So everything is balanced. So whatever the godly soul has, the animal soul has. It has the 10 powers. It has the three modes of expression. The difference is the perspective that it's coming from. The godly soul uses its powers and modes of expression to do God's will. So it can become one with God. And the animal soul uses these modes and expressions for selfish, for selfish use, right? To, to self-express and to uh, make sure that it stays alive and well. Okay. That was chapter six. And we said, where does, at the end, we mentioned, where does the animal soul come from? We learned that there's different um, sources of energy, right? Is this ringing a bell? Where does it come from? It comes from the source called Klipas Noga, which is neutral, which is the transparent shell. The actual translation of Noga is shell. What's, why is it transparent? Because a neutral energy source shows us it's transparent. We can see the spark of God within it, and that allows us to elevate it. So we have the ability to elevate anything that comes from Klippa Snogun is neutral. So the animal soul is not evil, right? It's not bad. It's neutral. And now depending on what, how we use our animal soul's powers, that will determine whether we elevate it to Kedusha, to holiness, or we lower it to um, something that's negative, that's other than God. Okay. So chapter seven and eight, we said, Everything that happens in our microcosm inside of us applies in macrocosm, right? To the world. So the world is made up of these different energies and the world has um, different opportunities. Most of the world, what did we say? Most of the world is Klipas Noga, which means we have the ability to elevate it. It has potential for godliness. There's little tiny bit that's Kedusha, that's innately holy. And there's a little bit, tiny bit that we say, what? Do not trespass, right? Don't go there. It is not able to be elevated. The godly, obviously it has to have a godly spark or it wouldn't exist, but the, um, the godly spark is not accessible. The shell is, is opaque. We cannot access the godliness inside these things and we stay away from it. And at the end of the chapter, we said, well, what happens if we don't stay away from it because we're human? Um, it told us that we can do teshuva, certain, a certain level of teshuva can transform that negativity into pos and positive. And if we don't do that teshuva, then after we pass, our soul goes through a cleansing process. Okay, so that catches us up to chapter nine. So you see, we have a lot of information right now. We have a lot of um, 
terms. We have a lot of knowledge. And now we're going to the next part of Tanya is we're just, now that we have a base and a foundation, we can go deeper into um, our service of Hashem and actually even get more practical. Okay, so I want to make sure we have no questions before we move on. Anything from these chapters that stood out to you, that doesn't make sense to you, that doesn't sit right with you, please ask. You can unmute or put the chat in the chat, put your question in the chat box. And um, I want to make sure we're all on the same page before we move on. Okay, so I'll give you a second. If not, I'm going to move on. And then always, as you know, the rules of this class are always feel free to put your questions in the chat box. I usually can get to them right away. Okay, so looks like we're good to continue to chapter nine. Now, remember, we said everything, every, there's equal forces in this world, right? Everything is counterbalanced. This quote comes from Shlomo HaMalach, like this against this, like the, everything is balanced in this world, okay? So now we've been talking about um, how the um, godly and the selfish, it's, it's better than saying like good and evil, right? Because it's not really what it's about. It's godly and other which is selfish, right? So we've been talking about the fact that the godly and the selfish are always at odds, right? And we have both of those things within us, right? We have two souls in our body that want opposite things. So we've touched upon this. Now, what we're gonna discuss in chapter nine is, well, how does this actually manifest? And how does it manifest differently for the different personalities? that we know that exists, right? We have Tzaddik, we have Russia, and we have Benoni. So how does this look when we have these two different opposing drives? What does that look like inside of our body and how does it manifest? What does it, how does it practically look like? Like, and, and what do we do with it, right? So that's what this chapter nine is gonna discuss. So we're gonna take another phrase from Shlomo HaMelech, King Solomon, and what how he describes this concept of this opposing forces inside of us is he uses a parable and he says um there's a small city okay and the small city obviously has citizens and residents and there are two kings that are fighting for complete domination and rulership of this small city okay there's two kings and they, and they want complete control over this city, right? Now, there's an old foolish king that wants control. And then there's a wise young king that wants control. Okay, you're with me so far now? And they don't want a little bit of control. They want complete autonomy. Like they want to rule the roost, okay? So this is our metaphor. Now, if you were to think about it, what do you think the residents of the city relate to? What are, what are the residents of the city? Um, what is it talking about in our, in our context? The residents of the city is our body, our limbs, okay? Our hands, our feet, all the different limbs of our body, okay? And obviously, the two kings are our two souls, right? Our old foolish king 
is compared to the animal soul. Why? Because we've got our animal soul first. So it's older inside of us and it's foolish. We understand that, right? And the, and the young wise king is the godly soul. Now, what are they fighting for? Okay. It's like they're fighting for to be the, like the driver of the car, right? Like who's going to drive the car? Who's going to have complete control? The animal soul and the godly soul want to control our bodies. Okay. They want to have complete ownership and rulership over our body. Okay. Why? Why is our body so important? Because our body is what actually expresses God's will. Our body is the only thing that can take God's will, the mitzvahs, and actually turn them into action and to actually fulfill God's will. We can't do that without a body, okay? So the godly soul, its job, how, how does a godly soul operate? A godly soul operates, he go, he, he, let's say he's coming into a room. He's looking at a situation. He assesses the situation and he looks for opportunities. What kind of opportunities is the godly soul looking for? He's looking for opportunities to connect with God, right? That's, that's how his brain, that's how the godly's brain works. That's how his automatic system works. It's always going to be looking for ways to connect with God, i.e. doing mitzvah. So he's going to assess the situation. And he's going to say, oh, there it is. There's my opportunity, right? So it starts off as a um, cognition, like assessing the situation, understanding what's available. Then it goes to an emotion like, okay, I want to do this for God so I can connect to him. And then it turns into an action, right? But to act on the situation, what does he need? He needs our body, right? You cannot do a mitzvah. You cannot do God's will without a body. So the godly soul is like, I need complete control over this body because I, my whole purpose is to serve God and to connect with him and become one with him. And I can only do that if I have a body. So I need to control the body completely. I have, I need complete autonomy. I don't want to share my control, right? So, and the, but at the same time, our animal soul wants the same thing, but for opposite reasons, right? He wants to control our body. He wants to do the things he wants to do that feel good and feel comfortable and, and perpetuate our existence in the most comfortable way possible. And he wants complete control and complete autonomy because he doesn't want to fight with the godly soul and have to rationalize his actions. He just wants to be able to do what he wants to do. So here we are, our body, is a small city that's trying to be conquered by two opposing forces at the same time. Okay, so, um, and not only, not only does, do they want um, different things, not only does a godly soul and the animal soul want different things, they also want complete domination. Like they're not, willing to share. Okay. There's no two state solution available for the godly and the animal soul. Why? 
why can't they just be like, okay, one day we'll be godly and one day we won't. And just like kind of switch back and forth and share our rulership. It won't work because the godly soul and the animal soul each view that if they aren't in control, it's like death. It's like they'll cease to exist. How does that work? Because the godly soul's um, purpose of existence is uniting with Hashem and God. If that's not happening, if he's not uniting with Hashem, then what's happening? He's separate. And that's death to the soul, right? So he can't be like, I can share with you, right? That's not going to work because if he's not in control, it's death for him. And the animal soul feels just as strongly. He says, I don't want, I need to stay alive, right? I need to make sure that I am living in this world comfortably and, and I'm feeding my, my desires and I don't want to waste time fighting to get what I want. And not only, and I don't want to sit and have to rationalize why what I'm doing is appropriate because that's what the godly soul makes our animal soul do, right? Like we have to rationalize how we behave. And the animal soul is like, that's death for me. I don't, I can't do that. So each of these kings, each of these souls need complete control. They need complete autonomy and there is no two-state solution. Okay. So um, take a minute and absorb what we're saying that the extreme you know, discord that we're talking about here, the extreme opposing desires and, 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 and internalize the fact that this is what's going on inside of every one of us. We are dealing with this all the time. Our body is constantly being fought over, right? Like, what is it going to be? Is it going to be a godly um, experience where we're reuniting with God, or is it going to be an other experience where we're disconnecting with God? And this is what's going on inside of us all the time. So I remember, if you remember when I, I said, I think I said this in the first or second class, when you sometimes feel like, what is going on with me? One day I want this and one day I want this. And it's so confusing. Everything is so hard and it's so stressful and it's exhausting. Does it make sense to you why it's exhausting now? Of course it's exhausting. Of course, you have this, this huge fight going on inside of you all the time, right? So we need to acknowledge that and we need to know like this, how we feel makes sense, okay? We're not crazy. We're not like, what's wrong with me? This makes sense. This is how God set it up. Now, what's the point of Tanya? I'm going to remind you every once in a while why we're even sitting here and you're giving me an hour of your time and we're learning. Why? Because we are going to slowly learn how to navigate this conflict and more and more and more act in a way that brings us closer to God and is a God is godly. So this is what our journey is, right? It's our journey of achieving actions that get us closer to God and fulfill God's will. That's the whole point of this, right? This is why we're doing this. Um, now remember it's a journey and the Tanya does mention many, many times. It's not about the end goal. It's about the journey. So don't get distracted when you're like, oh my God, I'm never going to get there. This is impossible. This is so overwhelming. Like that's not what this is about. This is about the journey that you're on and which direction are you going? Right? So don't ever forget that. 
Okay, so now there are different levels of autonomy, okay? And we're gonna understand the different levels of autonomy as we begin to understand the definitions of a tzaddik, a rasha, and a bedani. Chapter 10 is going to tell us all about the tzaddik. Chapter 11 is going to tell us all about the rasha. And then we have a bunch of chapters that are going to tell us all about the bedani because that's the that's the complicated one. That's the one that we're really going to focus on. So the more we understand the inner workings of a tzaddik, a rasha, and a bedani, that's going to help us understand, well, what level of autonomy does each of these personalities have, okay? What level of control does a godly soul have in a tzaddik? What level of control does a godly soul have in a benani? What level of control does a, does a godly soul have in a rasha? And vice versa, right? What level of control does the animal soul in each of these characters? So we're gonna understand more and more and more how that works, the more we understand what these personalities are. But we're gonna start now. Now, we're gonna first talk about the ideal level of autonomy. What is the ideal like situation? Like if we wanted it to be the best it can possibly be, what's the ideal level of autonomy? Now, is this ideal level of autonomy attainable for the majority of humans? No, okay? Because the ideal level of autonomy is obviously going to correlate with the tzaddik. Remember what we said about the tzaddik in the beginning. We said, that's not our goal, okay? Tzaddik is not our goal, but it's important to understand and know what that actually looks like and is because that helps us with our service. But don't get distracted because it's not our goal, but it's important to know what is the ideal level of autonomy. And it looks like this. The animal soul, the godly soul wants the animal soul gone, okay? He doesn't wanna fight with it. He doesn't wanna like have a battle every time he wants to do something godly, he's fighting with the animal soul. Even if the animal soul wins, that's a hard existence to always have to fight with it, right? That's exhausting. Like, even if you're winning the fight, like the godly, the, the tzaddik is like, I, I, the, the godly soul's ultimate dream is to not have to fight right? He wants our body to automatically be in tune with the godly soul and do God's will without opposition, okay? That's a really tall order, okay? That, so that's, so in a tzaddik, what does that look like? The animal soul does not bother the godly soul at all. Now, what does it mean that the animal soul, like the godly soul wants the animal soul gone? What does that mean? Because obviously it can't be gone, right? Because it, it, it keeps us alive, right? So what does it mean? It means that the animal soul becomes subservient to the godly soul. So not only is it not bothering the godly soul, it's working for it. So now the godly soul has double power. It has its own power and it has the animal soul's power. So there, it's not a co-kingdomship. It's the animal soul is literally working for the godly soul. It is now an asset. The godly soul now has additional power to do its God's will because he's converted the animal soul into a servant for him. So the animal soul isn't gone. It didn't disappear. It didn't just poof 
out into thin air, it now is transformed and is working for the godly soul. So now that Sadiq has double, it's like he has two godly souls. You get what I'm saying? So that's ideal autonomy, right? That is like the ideal situation when you take the animal soul and you transform it and use it for your own benefit. And now you have the animal soul's power working for you. That is complete autonomy. And that is what the ideal situation is. Like if the godly soul would sit back and say, hmm, what would make it the easiest for me? Like what's the, the perfect form of existence? This is what it would look like. The animal soul being completely subservient, transformed into a working asset for the godly soul. Okay, you with me so far? Any questions? Now, I'm gonna take you on a little sidetrack. Um, I, wa I, I wanna just focus the fact a little bit on why it's so important for the soul to have the, uh, the power of the body to fulfill its will. And I want to just give you some general information that we're definitely going to discuss more and more later on in Tanya in like the 30s, the chapters of the 30s. But it's important to understand this concept now because I think it's really eye-opening and fascinating and, in and it enhances the way we look at things. The soul can only become one with God if it's in a body. Okay, what do I mean by that? Isn't the soul on a higher level and isn't it basking in the rays of God before it comes down here? Yes, it is. But when the soul is out of a body and just up there hanging out in the rays of God, it is a subject-object relationship. The soul is enjoying the rays of God. It's like a show, right? It's like a firework show. The soul is sitting and enjoying the firework show, but it isn't becoming one with God. It's a separate entity. It is, it is a subject that is enjoying, it's an I that's enjoying the other, which is God. Like it's not becoming one. The only way, the soul can actually become one with God is if it comes down into a body. Because the only way that you, you can become one with God is to do God's will, okay? What is God's will? The 613 commandments that he's given us. The only way to do that is in a body. So the body comes down here. It gets covered up by all these physical things. And now it has to work really, really hard to connect with God. But when it does, it's not a subject-object relationship anymore. It is completely being in, encompassed by God. So when we do a mitzvah, we're completely being encompassed by God. The only way to do that is down here in this body. So the soul actually it has an advantage when it's down here in this body. You think the soul is better off in heaven. In a certain sense, it gets a better show, right? You get a better firework show, but, but that's not the purpose of the soul. The purpose of the soul is to be down here and do God's will, which only can be done within a body. So this is why it's so important for the soul. That's why he fights so hard 
for autonomy because this is his whole mission. He can't do that. He can't do it without a body. The, this is fascinating. The godly, we're going to get into this a little bit more at the end, but the godly soul needs the animal soul to do what it needs to do. Okay. It can't do it on its own. So we can say, oh my gosh, we'd be better off with just a godly soul. False. Okay. It doesn't work that way. Okay. So any questions? Okay. Now the trouble is this all sounds really nice, right? The godly soul wants complete autonomy. It wants the animal soul to work for it. And it sounds great, but guess what? The animal soul wants the same thing just for different reasons. It also wants complete control. It also wants the godly soul to work for it, right? Like I just want to do what I want to do. And I don't even want to, I don't even want to have to rationalize it. Guys, what's right? What's, uh, what's rational? I heard this from Shay's tab. What's rationalize? Rational lies. When we rationalize something, it's usually us telling ourselves some lies that sound rational so we can not feel guilty for what we're doing. Okay. Like a whole day, like the animal soul doesn't want to do that. It doesn't want to rationalize its actions. It wants to be free without guilt and just do what it wants to do. Okay. And that's why this situation is so hard because we have two opposing things that want it so badly. And they think that if they don't have complete control, it's total death for them. So they're not like half-heartedly fighting for this. They're not like, whatever, if I win, if whatever, if I win or if not, we can share control. Like it, it'll all work out. That's not how it goes. It's not how it works. The animal soul um, is, they, they all, they all think that if they're not in complete control, they, um, they'll, they'll be, it'll be death for them. This cat's going to be a smart cat. It's going to learn a lot of Tanya. <laughs> He's so cute. <laughs> um, a holy cat. All right. So um, now, so do we understand the predicament that we're in? Okay. Does everyone, can you feel it? Can you feel it in you? Like, oh my gosh, this is what I'm dealing with every single day of my life. Like I have a body. And I have two opposing things that want complete control of my body. Now, there is one exception, okay? There's one exception to this scenario that makes the godly soul and the animal soul not completely on the same page, okay? And we're gonna talk about this exception and it's, it's, it's like important because it changes everything, right? So what's the exception? The godly soul really wants this, okay? There's no, um, there's no like if, ands, or buts. Like this is what it really, really wants, okay? The animal soul also wants it, but not really, okay? And what do I mean by that? What do I mean by that? There is only one agenda in the world, right? What, what is that agenda? There's only one agenda. There's only a godly agenda. Nothing exists outside of God and nothing can exist without wanting, without God wanting it to exist. So bottom line, 
there's only a godly agenda. So what does that mean for the animal soul? The animal soul is, it wants what it wants, but deep down, it's here on a godly mission as well, okay? And um, everything the animal soul is doing is for our benefit. So basically what we're saying is that the animal soul is here to distract us and it does a really, really good job because it has to do a good job, but deep down, he doesn't want us to succumb to it. He it's like deep down, it's, he's rooting for us to be godly because that's deep down, that's his desire. Also, that's the animal soul's desire as well, because he's put in this world to better us and to be godly because there it doesn't it can't exist otherwise we can't have a godly there's only godly experiences so the animal soul is kind of here in disguise it's here to challenge us and push us but really it doesn't really want us he doesn't want to win so that's the subtle that's the very very um big difference between the animal soul and the godly soul. The godly soul really, really wants this. The animal soul is just really, really good at making us believe that he really, really wants this. Okay. Um, and yes, this is free choice. This is what allows us to have free choice and free will to choose God. Right now, the last line of the Tanya tells us a parable that gives us like that helps us understand this. Now, this parable is not PC and it doesn't really fit into 2021's like thinking, right? But if you bear with me, we can understand what the point of this parable is and don't get distracted by the details. Okay, what's the parable? As usual, the parable starts with a king. There's a king who has a son and he loves his son very much. And the king wants to test the son's loyalty and love, okay? And um, it was a very common thing to do back then. Um, and he, so what does he do? He, want, he, puts the, he wants to put the son in a compromising situation where he has to choose the king and show the king that he's dedicated and committed to him. So what does the king do? he hires a prostitute, okay? Now this prostitute is job is to seduce the king and um, see, is to seduce the king. And the, and the king is gonna see like, does it succumb to this prostitute or does he have the strength and the power to stay loyal to, to the king? Now, the prostitute is a subject of the king. And the king's hiring the prostitute and the, the prostitute has to do a very, very good job. He has to, she has to do the job with all her soul and she has to be convincing. But deep down, does the prostitute want the prince to succumb? No, he want, he's rooting for the prince. He want, she wants the prince to be able to show this, the loyalty, right? And um, that... And, and, and so in the mind of the prostitute, what's the prostitute's motivation? The motivation is she has to do a good job because she's hired by the king. But her inner desire is that the king, that is that the prince doesn't succumb. The prince doesn't fall for her, okay? And, and the prince will show his loyalty and 
prevail. Okay, now let's apply this to what we're talking about here. Okay, the king is Hashem, right? The, the, the godly soul is, the prince has the godly soul and the animal soul is the prostitute that's coming to distract and, and to seduce the prince. The animal soul doesn't really want to succeed. Okay, the animal soul wants ultimately for the prince to choose God. But, but the animal soul has to do its job really well. Okay, it has to be convincing or else it's not a real test. So it has to be convincing. So the animal soul does a really good job of tricking us into thinking that this is what the animal soul wants. But really, it's not about that. The animal soul's here on a mission. The mission is is to provide for us the opportunity and the ability to choose God, even with adversity, okay? So why is this important to know? Is that every time we feel this pull and this conflict and the exhaustion that comes from the conflict and we turn around like, why is this happening? Why are we dealing with this? Why is, why is this the way it is? We can now know that the animal soul is here on a mission. It's here to better ourselves. It's here to develop our character. It's here so that we can choose God. Now, and the ultimate agenda of the animal soul is for us to serve Hashem. Ultimately, that's the agenda. Now, we shouldn't get, don't let your guard down, right? Don't let your guard down and be like, okay, like, okay, now that I get it, I don't have to worry. The animal soul is very good at its job. Okay. So we have to be on top of our game and on top of our toes, but at the same time, we don't have to have despair and we don't have to be scared of the animal soul because really it's on our side. So when we take that fear away from the animal soul, it, it lessens its grip on us. It has a less of a grip on us because we know ultimately the animal soul is on our side. There's only one side. Guys, there's only one side. Ultimately, there's only God, right? So when we look at it like that, when we say the animal soul is here just to provide for me a better relationship with God, it loses its hold on us. Okay, now we cannot have the same, same service of God without the distraction, without the animal soul. Okay, so you can say like, why, why, like just let us serve God without the animal soul, who cares? But we know we're, we're, we're on chapter nine in Tanya. We know it's about the struggle. We know that we get closer to God through adversity. Okay, we know that we need to choose God. Can't just there's only good in the world, then of course we're going to choose God. We don't have another choice. It's not, there's nothing else to um, talk about. But there's, there's just, we need the animal soul to provide us the opportunity to connect to God in the way that is very, very, very intense and, and on a high level. We can't do that without the animal soul. But if we, now we have, like, we can beat it at its game because we know now that the animal soul is only there to better our service of God. And when you take the fear out of something and you take the, and you take the like 
despair of like, oh my gosh, it's such a hard conflict that I have all the time. Yes. Don't get comfortable. It's gonna, it's a hard conflict. It's hard, but we don't have to be scared of it because we know ultimately there's only one side. Okay. And that really brings us full circle to on chapter nine. Chapter nine is all about understanding the conflict within us, the godly soul, the animal soul, how they each want complete domination and nothing short of that will work. Why the godly soul needs to be down here in a, in a soul and have control over the body to fulfill God's will. It can't do it without the body. We can't be connected to God. We can't fulfill God's will without the body. And the animal soul wants the same thing for the exact opposite reason. But wait, is it really the opposite reason? Deep down, the animal soul is on our side too. Okay, so that's a really brief summary of what we are talking about today. Okay, so I have a question. Can you explain the distinction between the animal soul and the Sahara? Okay, yes, it is a little tricky because they're interchangeable a little bit, but I think um, a, a, a way to help understand the distinction is that the animal soul is the like the thought process, like the chachma bina das, the wisdom, understanding, knowledge, like the 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 intentions, the cognitive part of the of um, the selfish expression of like staying alive, like its mode is to, is a selfish mode. The Yetzahara is the desires that come along with it, right? Like the desire to um, do something that's other than God. So think about the soul animal cells, like the rational part of it, the like the things that we think about, which then turn into our emotions, which is how we actually feel. And then the desires, which help, which help us act on it. So the animal soul is like the intellectual part and the Yetzirah is like the emotional part, which, you know, like, cause we always refer to the Yetzirah as like, like negative desires, right? Like we want to do something that's not godly. So it's the emotional piece. Does that help? Tell me if that if that helped dis, dis differentiate and dis, and distinguish between the two. But they're really kind of one and the same. They work together. So sometimes we use them interchangeably. Yetzahara, animal soul. But if you wanted to like really split them and help us under like understand their different roles, that's kind of how I would explain it. Did that make Does that make sense? That is interesting. It's just um, like when you talk about the Yetzahara, it's always like this bad thing and yeah. the animal soul is like it's very parv i guess right yes yes um exactly and so does the yetzahara also have action no the yetzahara is what if we act on a negative impulse that means that our body is now subservient to the yetzahara and to the animal soul the yetzahara itself can't act right it's our motivation behind the action so can the godly soul ever be subservient to the animal soul? That's a very good question because I wouldn't say subservient, but I would say, um, um, what's it called? Um, sleeping, right? So like when the animal soul is in control, the godly soul is dormant, right? It's not acting. It's not, doesn't have any say. So I don't know. It's a good question. I'd have to look into it. I don't know if the animal soul can ever control the godly soul, but it's definitely ruling over it, right? It doesn't have, doesn't have a voice when the animal soul is, when our body is acting on the animal soul's desires, our godly soul doesn't have a voice. It's being like muted. Okay. 
when the godly soul is acting, the same thing is happening to our animal soul. The animal soul is dormant. Only in the tzaddik does the animal soul actually transform to a godly soul. Okay? That only happens in a tzaddik. In the bainani, the animal soul is just dormant. It, does, it doesn't actually ever go away. And that's what we're going to discuss in, the, in chapters 10, 11, 12. We're going to understand more of this relationship between the animal soul and these three different personalities and what it actually looks like. What does the animal soul do in the tzaddik? What does the animal soul do in the bainani? What does the animal soul do in the rasha? Right? Because it, it's different for each of these personalities. Did that answer the question? Okay, perfect. Any other questions before we go to our meditation? Okay, now we have, we're on, we, guys, we are, you guys are rock stars. We are on chapter nine. We have so much information. We are slowly, slowly um, incorporating you know, these thoughts into our lives, which like I said, remember, we don't have to do anything for it to actually affect us because once we learn this stuff, we automatically start to see things differently. We automatically start to see the world in a different way. So now what is the practical use of knowing that there's this war going on between us, right? It's so practical because you know what? You name it to tame it, right? You know that therapeutic concept? Like you have to know what you're dealing with it, what you're dealing with to even begin to engage. So now that we understand what are we actually dealing with here, we're dealing with two kings that want complete domination. And we are the thing that they're fighting over. Our body is what they're fighting over. So now, yes, it's, it's a big deal. And yes, it's a huge job, a life's journey, but it's a little less scary, right? Because now we know what's actually going on. And not only that, we actually have an even more insider information that we know the animal soul is really on our side, which even gives us an upper, uh, uh, more of an upper hand as well. So this kind of information, even though it might not feel super practical yet, we're getting there, but just knowing it helps us relate to it in a way that doesn't have us paralyzed. Like just knowing that this is normal, this is what we're dealing with, this is what God intended for us, this is why we're here, this is actually the purpose of why we're here, um, it doesn't have a hold on us, it's not scary. So when we go move through our day and we can actually identify like, oh my gosh, like I have this fight within me and sometimes the animal soul is gonna win and sometimes the godly soul is gonna win, but I'm now aware of what's going on inside of me, which actually helps me make some better choices, right? You with me? Okay, so get comfortable for our meditation. Okay. Take a deep breath. In through your nose, out through your mouth. Follow the rhythm of your breath. Don't try to change it. Just go with it and focus on your breath. If you focus on your breath, it will help you not be all over the place. It's 
sometimes it helps to have like a even count, like four counts, inhale, four counts, exhale, gets us a little more settled. And I want you to also try to visualize any tension that you might have just leaving your body. Like imagine it like melting away. How does that feel? Can you feel it inside of you when your tension just kind of melts? Where, do you, where in your body do you feel that? Just pay attention. Don't try to change it, do anything with it. Just observe it. Okay. Now bring your attention to a couple points to ponder. Your divine and animal soul are both comp competing for complete control of your body. Okay. They each want to rule your body and have your body do its bidding, its will. So the godly soul wants the body to do godly things because that's the only way it can connect and unite with God. And the animal soul wants the body to do what it wants, to selfishly live as comfortably as it wants to live. So they each want complete autonomy. The two-state solution is not an option. And that's what's going on inside of you. Now, the animal soul is really a gift from God to help you grow. By refusing to listen to its voice, your soul matures immensely. The animal soul is just doing its divinely allotted job. So we can look at the animal soul and be like, oh, it's just doing its job. It does it very well, but it's just doing its job. But deep down, it hopes that we won't listen to it. Okay, that is a huge um, perspective shift. Sit with that for a minute. How does that make you feel? Does it relax you? Does it stress you? Don't try to change it, just observe it. I want you to slowly bring your attention back to your breath, in through your nose, out through your mouth. Start to be more aware of any sounds, smells, sensations around you. And when you're ready, gently open your eyes. Okay, so how do you feel? 
Any questions that that meditation brought up for you before we sign off? Okay. Um, sounds good. Thank you all for being here. Um, remember, um, later today, I don't know, either hopefully for sure by tonight, the YouTube video will be up. The schmoozy podcast will be up the point. I'll have the points to ponder up there in case you want to revisit them. If anything comes um, up while you're thinking and internalizing this, please use that app to ask me any questions. Okay. Have a happy Purim. Thank you all for being here and we'll see you next week. Start the recording.